0: Hey everybody, welcome to the Fit Founders podcast. I'm Succedo, your host, and today I'm joined by a very special guest, Mr. Aaron McCulloch from your PT. Thanks for joining me, Aaron.
1: No worries, thanks for having me on, mate.
0: Not at all, it's a pleasure. Um, obviously, during this chat, we're going to talk through you know, your career in the industry, what you're up to today with your PT and what the future holds. But for anyone that doesn't know who you are, you want to just give a you know a brief overview of you know who you are and, and what you do.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so my name is Aaron McCulloch. I'm the co-owner and managing director of your personal training. Um, so your personal training is the leading provider of kind of end-to-end PT solutions for gym operators around the UK. And we have a, a few international partners as well.
0: Amazing. So well, let's talk about kind of what what led to where you are today and this current role. So how did you first enter the industry? Was it, was it always the plan to become a personal trainer and then coach and then CEO of a, of a company within the industry?
1: Uh, no, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't think I've met anyone that that's how anything started or what, or what the objective is to, to kind of start with, um, I mean, like, I guess a lot of people when I was a bit younger, I just wanted to be a professional footballer, was in various academies, stuff like that. Um, Got to the age of 15, realized I wasn't good enough um, and probably was never going to be. So I I started kind of looking at other careers in you know, law, criminology, um, ended up, um, decided to join the armed forces. Like I grew up as a military brat, so it was kind of, I guess most people expect you to do that anyway. Um, And I got to a certain point. just before I was was 21 where I was kind of given some advice by um, some of the doctors with the various injuries and, and damage that had kind of caused my body. It was a case of you've got two options, carry on, sit at a desk, possibly end up in a wheelchair by the time you're 30 because you just keep breaking stuff, um, or leave and find something else to do. Um, and I didn't join the military to sit behind a desk and sort people's post and or end up in a wheelchair, to be fair. Um, that was, that's never the objective. Um, so I actually ended up doing a personal training course with Premier Training, I think, which is pretty much what everyone, even the military was doing at, at that point if they wanted to going to fitness, but it was more of just learning how to look after my body. So I ended up with like a degenerative disc disease, I kind of fractured ribs, dislocated shoulders, fractured my femur, all that kind of stuff, like in a, in a wonderful two and a half year period. Um, And during my course, I realized that I actually quite liked it Um, and thought it's something that I might like to do and and maybe do as a career. So, um, you know, I went to a few interviews while I was doing my course. I finished the course on a Friday um, and started working as a self-employed personal trainer the following Monday at Fitness First in Norwich. Um, So just literally went straight into the deep end.
0: And, And how were those first few months or the first year or so of being a Self-employed PT.
1: Absolute nightmare. Um, you know, I was I was quite lucky in the fact that there was a a couple of of the successful PTs that that kind of took me under their wing as such. Like I used to ask them a lot of questions and things like that. But you know, I was I think I was personal trainer number twenty two or twenty three in that club, um, wow. and there was around about eighteen hundred members. So, but at that time, completely normal. That was just yeah. how it was. And it was very, like you had to be a bit of a shark at times. Um, so it was a bit like a revolving door of, of personal trainers. There was someone new coming in every every couple of weeks or like a new group would start every couple of months and personal trainers would leave. And it was very sort of catty and, and backstabby at that point, if that's a phrase. Um, but like I said, the, the, the two that I've kind of, latched on to kind of really sort of helped me understand why i should be doing what they did to get to they were doing like 34 hours a week each um and it took me about four and a half months to get to the same point so i I managed to do it quite quickly in probably a gym that i shouldn't have been able to but when kind of turnover is so high you know people end up going well you know, you've been here like the third longest now, like you're not going anywhere, are you? So sometimes you just sort of collected clients from others leaving as well as doing your own work. Um, And I spent a lot of time going to a lot of local businesses and events like wedding shops, stuff like that, and just trying to sort of get to their customer base as well, just through various bits I've been kind of told to do. Um, I was there for about a year and then I moved to your personal training um, literally flipped, still self-employed PT, but I went from being at, like, a fitness first in a city to a leisure centre in what was described as a floral town of Bury St Edmonds.
0: Brilliant. What made you – so for those – for people that don't really understand what your PT is, what is it? Can you just explain it from a, a personal trainer's perspective?
1: Yeah. So from, from a PT's perspective, it is a – um management, coaching, and, and mentoring business. Um, so for gyms, they don't really know, well, I said they don't really, they don't know at all how to sort of nurture, build, and maintain like a good personal training team, or let alone offer a really good service. And personal trainers, when they kind of start, as, as you'll kind of know, are not really trained adequately enough by the training providers to kind of prepare them for you know any aspect whether that's kind of marketing communications um even programming to to a decent level so what we kind of offer clubs is like an external management service that recruits markets and supports the pts and for the personal trainers they kind of but then they kind of know they're working with people that have been in their position in their gyms have made it work um and can kind of Keep them on the right path, but also make sure they start on the right path to begin with anyway. Um so we kind of come at it from from both sides.
0: Amazing. So you're already doing pretty well. What what makes you decide that you want to go and get this support?
1: Um I think the Yeah, the where I was and what I was doing at kind of Fitness First at the time, I just felt like it was quite restricted so i didn't really think i could go beyond what i was doing and when i kind of spoke to the the team at your personal training at the time and why i moved over there there was more support and more opportunities so it was almost like joining a startup at the time because if you're in at the ground floor as that grows potentially you could grow with it um and that's pretty much what i did um up until like the pandemic as it kind of grew um because i was born one of the kind of more one of the successful PTs. Um I was like helping trainers around me because I just didn't like the where I was before. It was a bit of a revolving door. And I was like, well, I'd quite like to keep these people on. I quite like these other trainers, so I want to help them out. And I was just doing it just to be nice. Um, and then that became more of like an official capacity. And then I'm kind of taking more and more responsibility as the years went on from there as well.
0: When you, um, just rolling it back a little bit, when you left the military hmm. and you became a self-employed personal trainer, did was it ever in your mind that you're kind of pursuing an entrepreneurial career or was it just very organically I'm going to be a personal trainer and entrepreneurship, business ownership wasn't really a thought or, or was that, you know, a purposeful decision?
1: That's a good question. So there was, there was a really, really simple version of, uh, you know, story of like why one has become self-employed. When you're in the military, you're told what to do 24 hours a day and it gets quite grating. Um, so I wanted to do something where I would have more control over what I was doing and more control over the direction. Um, and also like my time basically, so it was doing the opposite of what I'd done for a number of years before that.
0: Amazing. Okay. So personal training is going well. You've joined this team at your personal training where you're now getting additional responsibility. You're helping more personal trainers. Um, how do we get from there to you now you know, owning the company effectively?
1: Yeah, so I think as the as the kind of years progressed and I was going through kind of various positions of being like a PT support manager and then maybe like a regional PT manager, I then became... Um, and I actually created the position for myself and others of like having a team of regional directors who were responsible for like the wider economy of what was going on. So not just dealing with personal trainers, but with clients, coming up with processes, um, whether that was for recruitment, retention, business blueprints for PTs, um, troubleshooting that kind of thing, and and kind of doing a little bit more. Um, And that even came to a point of, you know, I think that's when I started realising that I quite like creating and building things. Um, And I kind of hunt opportunities down. So I was like, well, I think this could be better for the company and we can do a better job and we can do X, Y, Z. We've not really moved anywhere in the last two years. If I don't say something, then we're all going to get stuck and everyone will suffer. So I kind of thought, if we can make it better for everybody, this is what needs to happen, and then almost put myself and others in a position to be able to to do that. Um, And as soon as that was accepted by the previous uh, kind of owner and and MD, it kind of made me think that sometimes I might actually have a good idea. Um, And that kind of leads me then to doing more of what I do now. Um, And obviously just, I guess, maybe gave me a bit more self-confidence and belief that I actually knew what I was doing and potentially could go a lot further. Um, but I don't even think at that point the word entrepreneurship or, or anything even entered my mind. I don't even think I used that word until maybe a couple of years ago.
0: OK. So
1: in terms of,
0: you know, hand you know sharing as much as, as you can share, um, what were the, mm-hmm. the weeks or the month like that, you know, you took over your your PT and your personal training?
1: Yeah. So, um, I guess, I think generally for a lot of people that, obviously we, we went into the pandemic, I think kind of towards like mid end to March, 2020, didn't we? Um, and when gyms closed down, obviously all of our personal trainers were based in gyms, stuff like that. Um, then you kind of had to adapt quite quickly. So myself and, and, and one of the other um, regional directors at the time, who's actually now my business partner and obviously co-owns your personal training with me in the academy, um, kind of came together and we thought, like, if we don't keep helping trainers, kind of maybe transition online, give them somewhere to check in every week just to make sure they're okay, if that all goes to shit for them, we're going to come back to nothing. So if we don't help them, we won't have a job in four weeks, six weeks, six months time, however this was was going to last, um, and also I think from a selfish perspective from from our point of view it was almost like this might also keep us sane and we might actually learn something along the way um, to kind of be able to help trainers more and, and obviously just keep it going. So we, we did like weekly check-ins and all that kind of stuff, um, we set up like private Facebook groups for trainers. Um, kind of pointed them in the right direction for the few people. And, and actually, I think at that point, that's when I came across you, actually, and kind of took on and, and sort of read some of your content and pointed trainers in that direction and sent them links to, like, videos and, um, and Facebook groups and things like that, because obviously you've been doing online coaching you know way longer than I ever had um, and obviously some of the things you had in place were very very helpful um, some of them to the detriment because some PTs left because they had full on online yeah. businesses by about July um, sorry. so sorry it, it worked and it worked too well I think um, yeah, I'll, um, I'll, I've got over it I think just about no, I mentioned it so I haven't gone over it have I um, but yeah so you know we wanted to do a little bit more and then we got to um, the week before gyms were due to reopen in, I believe it was towards the end of July in 2020. Um, And we we got sat on a Zoom call, um, and effectively the the owner and and obviously MD at the time was just thought like the world was gonna collapse, like it's not gonna go any further, like we're, we're never gonna recover it to what we were doing before, so I'm gonna close the company. That call lasted less than three minutes. Um, so effectively, we were like, "Oh shit!" In like a week's time or two weeks' time, we we might be out of a job. Um, and you no, know, a couple of weeks before that, myself and James, um, who obviously, like I said, my business partner is also the operations director at, at your PT. Um, because of what we were doing, we were like, we can do a better job than what's going on at the minute at your PT. So we actually structured a plan. To almost like an MBO, for that Christmas. So we thought we'll keep working on this plan. We'll get our kind of ducks in a row, and we'll we'll make an offer to to take the company at the end of the year because we kind of had a sense that the existing owner was kind of like, even a couple months before that, just kind of dumb. Just wasn't interested. Canceling like weekly team meetings with the senior management team, etc. But we just kind of carried on and and kept doing what we said we were going to do and and keep our promise to the trainers of obviously kind of, you know, keeping in touch with them and keeping them updated with various things from the government and what that meant for the industry, Simpshire, et cetera, um, and what advice we were getting. Um, And there was kind of angel investors involved in in the business beforehand. And one of them was actually a client and it was a client I actually used to look after. So it was a kind of gym in in Manchester. Um, So. kind of rang me up and he was like yeah i've just heard and he was like what are you doing and i said well me and james are going to carry on we're going to take all the gyms that we were working with previously and we're going to work with them on our own um and he just went great do you want to do it together so what we ended up doing in the next two weeks was buying out your personal training um and that's it. Two and a half years ago, we we took over the company. So the old kind of ownership and, and MD and stuff had completely gone at that point. Um, sat down with the, the team that we had um, and told them what we were doing, what the plans were for the business. Um, you know, we had an initial kind of recovery plan, if you like, in terms of like gyms were just about to open. Um, obviously we were going to move things back up. We were going to change a few things. Uh, people were going into different positions. Um, we found some of the staff, we looked at some of the stuff that they were doing and found they were completely useless and getting paid more than anybody else. So they obviously went quite quickly. Um, and then we kind of started to build or rebuild or remodel the company, should I say, on a completely different set of values and create a different culture that we felt would allow people to be more expressive and, and allow things to To grow beyond what they could have done before and also just create a better environment for everybody
0: amazing i'm I'm assuming that at the time when you got the news that the company or the the former md was done it was it was a pretty big shock and what would be interesting to know is was there a negative impact on the business I'm, i'm assuming you'd have to speak with all your partners the gyms that you work with and has the company recovered since then is it in a stronger position has it grown
1: yeah. So the good, good question. Uh, first one. So actually it was a sense of relief sure. because I was like, finally, I know what's happening with my with me. I know what I'm going to do now. Like, you know, my, myself and James are obviously making this kind of MBO plan. Um, and it was like, well, should we just do it now? Um the clients uh, and things we kind of, you know, spoken to. That I think the fortunate thing for that, and, and maybe the unfortunate thing for the old owner, is that relationships with those clients were basically at our level. Like nobody else spoke to them other than me. So yeah. I was looking after ten or eleven gym operators. James was looking after four or five in in the west and southwest. Um, so you know, even between us, if we decided just to go off on our own and, and not buy the business. Um, we have done all right. Um, we'd have had to start a lot again and we wouldn't have had a lot of the, the things that were available to us, it would have taken a bit longer. Um but yeah, there was there was a lot to do. Um, just kind of structurally, and obviously you're not just dealing with clients but also suppliers, personal trainers, staff, um, where to get a new set of accountants, uh work with a new set of solicitors, um, and make a lot of changes and, and updates and things like that. And I think in, to be honest with you, when we look back, I like, i don't know how we did that much work in that short of a period of time, um, because it was just manic. So it would like easily 60, 80 hours a week, every week for the rest of that year. Um, And then bearing in mind, we had two additional lockdowns during that period, and they were all different in different countries as well. So because you've got trainers and gyms over England, Wales, Northern Ireland, and Scotland, none of them ever lined up to do the same thing at the same time. It was always a week's delay here, week's delay there, or these were shutting a week earlier, or there was different rules over here. So that was a massive, massive pain in the backside and quite a large inconvenience, but obviously nothing we could do about it. But when they were closed, um and gyms weren't you know available to pts we kind of then revisited the old right how do you keep looking after your clients how do you maintain communication with our own clients as well but also we used that time to do the things that we needed to do in the background so you know it's almost the positives of that is we gave ourselves a few extra weeks here and there um and we didn't stop working um, and then obviously the, the last lockdown we had was what, like three months. So I think we opened mid-April 2021 again, I think, gyms in, in England. Um, and then we had a period of being kind of reopened and, and obviously had a bit of continuity. Things were coming a bit more normal. People were coming back to the gyms a little bit. Personal trainers were starting to regain a little bit of confidence in the, in the sector because it was not very well supported at all, and I think that's been quite well burst and documented by a lot of people. It's kind of like at the bottom of the list for everyone, despite probably being able to offer the most significant impact on people's health um, and, and obviously help people. But for whatever reason, it's still pretty much at the bottom of the pile, as far as I can see. Um, but yeah, so we... It slowly, slowly came back. Um, and then in 2022, it was it just kicked off like we didn't think was going to happen. Um, so we projected a particular growth pattern for 2021, because I think it's about eight months we had to, to kind of predict that. Um, and then 2022, we thought it would be a slow and gradual climb back up. Um, but we managed to kind of fully recover and at the same time we create a complete organizational restructure of, of your PT in that 18 months um, and develop uh, an education provider as well. So obviously going through awarding organizations, awarding bodies, et cetera, um, as well as then looking at new opportunities, um, tech developments and stuff as well, building new relationships. Um, I think we went from 11 gym operator clients to 26 in 18 months, um, which amazing. obviously expanded the reach and then, um, then moved into kind of supporting um, a club in Kuwait City who kind of reached out for us to, to help them find and, and develop personal trainers.
0: Wow. And, and can you give a, a either the exact or a ballpark figure in terms of how many personal trainers you currently manage?
1: Um, without looking at my CRM, no. Um, <laughs> but they are, it, cha- it changes every day as well. Um, so the number of applications we get, You know, you could go anywhere from, I think you can go up to about 25 applications a day at certain periods of the year. Um, But we have 417 locations just in the UK. And they'll range from, you know, 500-member single-site gyms to, you know, four-story, 12,000-member clubs in central London. So there's quite a big group.
0: That's amazing. What I would... (laughs) I've been very very outspoken on standards in the industry, as you know. Um, and I know it's it's something that you some beliefs that you share as well around, you know, improving standards, yeah. looking after personal trainers and coaches. And do you feel that your your personal training should have to exist? Or or should it really be something that's being taken care of by adequate qualifications, governing bodies? You no, know, you have to tread carefully, but um, answer how you can. Yeah.
1: Mm, yeah, I do have to be careful because I sit on a couple of committees for, for, for stuff as well. Um, <laughs> but the reason I sit on that is because I, I need to be on the inside to kind of affect more change. I realize you have to play the game to a certain level. I, I don't think you should have to, but unfortunately, at the minute, that's just the way shit is. Like you, Sometimes you just have to kind of give a little to to get a little to kind of make changes. Um, Should we exist? I I think like originally your personal training only existed to improve on other companies were doing the same thing, so kind of managing personal trainers, but they, it was just kind to make it more sustainable for PTs, whereas now those companies don't exist, um, just because obviously they were just obviously terrible and and the way they treat people and you know not just personal trainers but the gyms they were working with was was not great um but I don't think there's ever gonna be a space where we're not needed in some way shape or form, and that yeah. is largely down to and you know the more I've kind of we've always known this anyway, but obviously probably more so now that we're you know we we hear from like. If you think of a gym provider in the UK, I've spoken to them in the last eighteen months. Um, they have kind of reached out and, and said we're having a problem with recruiting or retaining, or like the standard of personal trainers we've got is shit. We don't like. Why is that? Can you help us get you know better personal trainers? What should we be doing? Um, and they don't, they just don't know what they're doing. And it's always at the bottom of the pile, and and it's a really sad thing to have to day. Um, And I think most personal trainers probably feel like, you know, if they're working directly with a gym, that they probably feel like they're the least valued people in that building. And that's generally the feedback that that we get is they're, you know, they're the last person that anyone thinks about. And I think the, you know, lockdowns and stuff prove that a lot of the time as well, because some gym operators didn't even speak to their PTs for six months. Like nothing, just an email to say, this is what your rent's going to be when you come back. Like that's just, (laughs) Right. Those gyms deserve everything they get as, as far as I'm concerned, if their PTs decide to leave that's your own fault. Um, but they're always going to be at the bottom of the pile but for, for us, I guess the advantage of, of the trainers that work with us and they go into these gyms, if we weren't there they would just become a statistic and they would be gone in, what's the average length of stay for a PT in the UK now, seven months I think is, is now which is just so bad. But it is what it is, and we know that we know why that is the number that it is. But our sole focus is just to help the trainers. Like we don't worry about anything else that goes on in that gym. You no, know, we don't look at the class timetable and we don't talk about like how many members they're going to get that month or anything like that. So we're almost running the personal training divisions and it's our sole focus. And I think I don't think there's ever going to be a time where a gym is going to be able to do the as job have we done, or even 20% in my opinion, because I've been working with these people for a number of years and I've spoken to other gym operators. And, you know, you would think you, you, there's probably um, some things that people look at a particular gym chain or whatever it is and go, they've got a really good personal training model. They're all monumental failures. And the vast majority of them actually lose money which is wild, but they they don't even want to implement 10% of what they should be doing to make it better. Their, their start point is, how can we make more money from personal training? We go, well, you need to get them more clients, make them more capable, improve their communication skills, help them with marketing. But they don't go down to that level and go, right, well, let's start from the bottom and work our way up. And until that changes, and it's, it's not going to there will always be a requirement for people like us and, 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 other, and other companies as well.
0: Yeah. Like I totally get it. Like I feel the same about OFB. Um, I felt like it kind of existed because it wasn't being done for personal trainers at the place where they'd probably expect it. So mm-hmm. the, the active IQ or SimSPAR approved education providers were just never going to go to that level of depth and, in running the business and, and maybe they can't logistically or from an operation perspective um so your your personal training is has gone through a whirlwind three years now two and a half years um it sounds like things are going pretty well you've got four hundred personal trades in 417 locations where do you go from here what's the what? what do the next couple of years look like or what's the big hairy asshole
1: I mean, there's, there's a few things. I mean, uh, you know, the the kind of next big milestone is is a 1,000 clubs um, because, I, you know, I mean, the, the reason for, for looking at locations and clubs rather than a number of personal trainers is if you don't have the clubs and locations, you can't have the PTs in that area. So, you know, we get about 26% of our applications. We either don't have a, a gym within, like, a commutable distance or they're not qualified or whatever it is. Um, and our team come off the phone with them and they're like, look, we've got a gym over here and they're like, oh, that's too far. And then we know their options are limited and we know they're going to become a statistic. And we take that type of person because we're like, oh, we couldn't help that person. We, we couldn't do something for them and they're not going to be able to get even 50% of what we do anywhere else without paying four or five different people to help them in those things. So to kind of expand what we're doing and and kind of go into the four corners of of the UK, even the really kind of small places, because there's going to be personal trainers there that want to build a career but never really going to have the opportunity. So the more gyms we have, the more opportunities we can kind of create as well. Um, and he then kind of touched on the education point for PTs and you're not wrong. And, and obviously you, you would know, I think we, we probably discussed this previously as well, that, amount of training providers that have collapsed over the last year year and a half and some of the they're not insignificant ones that have closed their doors like premier training um the training room like you're you're talking about 54 percent of the market share just with those two in terms of like people qualifying um but you know the industry's been plagued by training providers who have kind of cut costs at the expense of quality education so you know we always talk about the good old days so when i did a personal training course it was 12 weeks in a classroom and we did that and you know people actually learned and you were sat around other people and you, you weren't just turning up online and clicking a button and recording yourself bicep curlings and baked bean tins for three minutes and then getting signed off that's a true anecdote but you know they've they then hire poorly educated tutors they cut the face-to-face contact time everything is generic and superficial so like you said trainers go into gyms ill-prepared you know i even remember going back into like my personal you know pt days at fitness first um a female trainer started two weeks after me asked if she can shadow me for the day i was like no problem at all i probably should have done that to be honest with you that's a great idea then she asked me what a press-up was Um. and i was just like right okay and this is in like 2008 um and we ended up, a couple of years ago, We, when we kind of took over, we blacklisted training providers from, like, if we got one of their graduates and they, didn't, they weren't working in the industry for 12 months after they graduated with that particular company, didn't touch them with a barge pole. And we thought that would be to the betterment of, obviously, what we were doing, and, and obviously that made sense, but at the same time, we then thought, like, a few months later, are we depriving that person of, of good quality education by not allowing them to kind of potentially join our business. Obviously, we have a 10-stage interview and screening process that is 18 touch points and various interviews and, and things like that, that we do and, and bits and pieces they have to tick. Um, but what that then kind of led us to is like, right, the industry is flooded with poorly educated personal trainers. And I speak to gyms all the time and I speak to people on the committees and stuff that I talk to, and that's all they complain about. Is the standard of trainers that are coming through and i'm like okay well, what have you done about it like can you do your own don't have the resource don't have the time don't actually know what they're doing um and on the flip side of that as well students have now been settling for cheap and superficial education because yeah. they want that guess uh, we're, we're in that time of we want things now and like yeah great go and go and do a course but you're not going to be very good, you're not going to have a career and you're going to be back doing what you were doing before and you're going to blame everybody else but you have a choice and the choice is normally based on finance. So do you do a £1,700 course that is designed to prepare you for the industry and give you a long-lasting career or would you spend £600 on doing one that you can just sit in your underpants in your living room doing 20 hours and you're done? And then hopefully someone will give you a job.
0: Yeah, I, I, I definitely see. And I choices have consequences.
1: More.
0: Yeah, I, I think I definitely see more people nowadays just going for the cheapest option because they see the qualification as just a, a box ticking exercise. I just need to sit this box, then I'm a personal trainer and I can go and build this amazing yeah. career. Um, and it doesn't usually work out, which is a surprise, shock.
1: I know and I know I know we've kind of talked about it as well and you know uh, I, like I said I've obviously explained to you what we're looking to do with our curriculum obviously you you have to tick the awarding body organisation in terms of things that you have to teach but you can also do within that whatever you want so as long as you're doing what they want you to do everything else that you can put in between and obviously we've talked about you know um how strides can be implemented into the curriculum of what we're doing at your academy. I've spoken to um, a couple of different tech companies in terms of implementing what they're doing to make them more job ready when they finish because their tech is pretty much like 95% of our gym clients' gyms anyway. So I'm like, well, how good does it look for us and how much better it is for for them and also for for the fitness instructor or PT. If they can walk in on day one, and they know exactly how to use everything and they know what everything does and they know all the features and benefits of what they're doing and they can have a bigger impact, faster at that facility and not have to be trained on some really rudimentary things that actually the gym is not gonna do the best they can to train that person because to them it's like, I've got to train them how to use this stuff, I'm not really interested in education, but I just need them to be able to tick this box. Whereas we wanna make people Completely competent in what they're doing, and then also get them to understand that, like, the education doesn't stop once you finished your course. Like, it continues on for that forever. And there is, like, and I've said this before. I'm like the boring guy who knows data and numbers and things like that when it comes to like industry statistics, when it comes to education and um, and obviously careers and recruitment and all that kind of stuff. But personal trainers who are higher educated beyond the basic level three, and I'm not talking about they have to have master's degrees or anything like that, but the ones who have focused around nutrition, programming, and business, within three years are running three times the amount of somebody that has just done their level three and done nothing else. That's oh. a lot of money.
0: Yeah. For, that, is a, some... that is
1: a lot of cash. And Go ahead. Yeah, for something that I think the average spend is 1,430 pounds a year. So you always think if someone said, if you gave me 1,400 quid and I, over the next three years, you gave me that every year, but you would triple your income from year one to year three, and if you don't do it, you're going to stay where you are now, you'd hand it over. A No brainer. But people don't do it. And I don't, I don't know everyone's motivation or lack of motivation for not wanting to do it. But I think also people then maybe understood those numbers and those metrics and maybe it was put in front of them. They'd be like, well, actually, that makes sense because I'm getting better and I'm offering a better service and maybe I can charge more and I can attract more people and get more referrals. And, you know, it kind of works a lot better. But I, I don't know any successful PT that's at the top of their game that just stopped learning after that initial six or eight weeks, whatever they were doing.
0: Why do you think that the business and so sales, marketing, communication isn't kind of prioritized from a you know, qualification course writing perspective? Because as you said, I think it's in everyone's best interest for personal trainers to stick around. So if, if it's the case that if they knew how to market and sell, why, why isn't that being prioritized in the education?
1: bluntly honest, laziness and, and, I'll, and I can talk from that from experience and, and being in those situations where we've spoken to training providers, big and small, and said look, like the trainers that are coming out, are not they're not ready, like if they could just do this, 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 we've got it all already, we do it for them but let us give it to you or we'll work with you to develop this um, for nothing. We even said that you can white label it if you want, just make sure we're credited. And, and obviously because it's our intellectual property, it's our resource, um, but you can put your branding on it and stuff. Oh, no, because then they have to do that. And it's an extra day. And that's going to cost us like an extra £14 a learner to to um, to put into the curriculum. And then we'd have to, like, even that's with me doing it all for them. They didn't want to do it. Um, so that's when we came up with, the. you know, sometimes you hit, like I call it the fuck it button. Like, I was like, fuck it, we're just going to do it ourselves. Like, if you don't want to be a partner then and, and don't want to do a better job, then I'm going to try and do a better job than you are now. And I'm going to become a competitor, which is why we ended up opening your academy in the first instance, because we were like, well, we'll, we'll just do a better job. And it took a long time to find the right person to lead the academy because you have to find people that are aligned with your values your vision um you know what you want the business to do they have to have the right work ethic the right skill set experience etc um and we've absolutely got the right person to do that but it's something that he always wanted to do but didn't have the resource or the backing so it was like two and two makes four in this scenario um and it's going to be a work in progress for us um but the focus is just around creating really good gym instructors personal trainers who are sociable, who are educated, that know how to program, they know about nutrition, they know about business. Um, and then beyond that, it's then developing those skills further, whether that's um, corrective exercise or performance enhancement exercise or nutrition or whatever it is, just focusing on those three pillars. You're like You've only got to be good at three things as a personal trainer. Nutrition, training and programming, and business and communication skills. Like, just focus on those three Easy. things. Like everything else Easy is just that. guff. Just it's just guff in the end. and <laughs> the rest of it. Um. So, but yeah. Anyway, I always kind of dive off because things just piss me off to a certain degree. So,
0: I'm right there with you, mate. So, a lot of the people that are that will be listening to this are building businesses of of their own. A little bit different to your PT for the most part. But what a lot of them are doing is beginning to consider hiring other personal trainers, other online coaches for their own businesses. It's something that's happening more and more now, especially amongst online coaches. So it'd be great to get some insights and tips of advice from you around that. So I suppose the first question is, what are the biggest challenges that you face when hiring uh, or accepting applications and managing a large group of personal trainers?
1: so i guess that the, the challenge whenever i mean you, we kind of always have to start off i think and i don't know whether most trainers actually think about this when they are trying to grow their teams is why do they want to do it in the first place like what do they want to get from it what's its what's its purpose um like for me personal training is like a it's like a lifestyle career isn't it it's it's not really a business or a career that you're going to have an eight or nine figure exit in 10 years time i think i don't think most personal trainers are thinking about what they're going to be doing in 10 years, but I think they should because it will help them plan things a little bit better. Um, I think understanding what you want from somebody, uh, I think you need a set of values and, and a vision that that people can buy into. Um, and When people are looking to come and work with you, the first thing they're thinking is what's in it for me? So what are you actually offering these coaches that you want to join your team if you're trying to expand? And once you do find the right people and and obviously you bring them in, choose wisely, like don't rush. So, you know, I kind of talk about our kind of Academy director, Kev Baker, who um, absolutely brilliant. I spoke to 60 companies and 300 people before landing on him in four months. Um, Companies, because one of the options was an acquisition um realised quickly that most of those companies were in the toilet um and it would take so much work to pull them out, you might as well start from scratch. Um and you know it 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 took a lot. I'm not saying that's what they have to do. I'm I'm probably a little I don't know, we're just a little bit more particular and, and maybe we've kind of learned some lessons over the years. Um, but even when we're looking for personal training managers, support managers, like it's more of a headhunting mission. Um, because you have a network, like we obviously have a network of PTs and, and some are very, very talented and, you know, are probably already helping personal trainers anyway. Um, so we're like, well, can we develop these people and, and obviously, you know, help ourselves choose. But a lot of the time you might have friends and, uh, and colleagues that are really good coaches. Um, I think I've I kind of listened to, um, when you're talking to Emma. Um, I think also maybe Mike and Dan as well, obviously I know we kind of know them anyway, Um, but they've got people that are supporting them with their business that they already knew. They didn't go out and try and recruit people that they've never heard of or put a job ad out or anything like that and I genuinely think if you're a personal trainer trying to grow your coaching team, that's probably the best thing to do. and obviously make sure they share your standards as well, um, or can even help you improve them. That's always a good thing. Scaling for the sake of scaling is completely pointless. And you hear that all the time in terms of, oh, exchange, you know, get more time and have a team of you know people doing your work for you. And it's so like, why do you want to do that in the first place? Like if you're if you're happy earning 35, 40 grand a year working 25 hours a week and you can either work remotely or you're just working out of one gym so you can spend loads of time with your kids and your family and stuff like that, why do you want to earn 100 grand a year and work three times the amount or have someone working in your team that might ruin it for you? Um, and just be willing when you are building a team, understand that you will make mistakes and you probably will fuck it up more than once. Um, you'll have bad hires um, and you'll have people that will let you down. But I think it's always important to reflect as if that does happen and hopefully touch what it doesn't happen to everybody. But I think it's a good kind of learning thing, but understand why that happened. And is there something about that, individual that didn't match your vision and values or your standards and you can kind of move forward next time and say this is what i don't want from a person as well as what you do want um and you'll get there eventually also don't micromanage everyone will thank you for it and you'll thank yourself for it as well
0: can i ask where have you learned all this because obviously you've you've started on the same path as a lot of our listeners are you as a personal trainer and obviously you've developed into <laughs> you know, a a fairly effective or very competent MD, owner of a company that has a lot of different stakeholders and a lot of people involved in it. So how have you learned all that you've learned in terms of scaling, managing, and everything that comes with it?
1: Um, Suffering, I would say, is the first one. Um, Because, like, inevitably, you know, you, you kind of make mistakes. And I think some people either... Like I, I'm i quite bad so I, I have um, what's kind of often referred to as high functioning anxiety so I catastrophize I suffer from perfectionism and things like that I, I blame myself for anything that goes wrong but what I then try and do is is kind of reflect on on why that may have happened was it I always blame myself but then eventually I might come around to go well that was actually out of my control Um I'm also very fortunate that I have a really good business partner um, in James and, and obviously co-owner of your PT and the the two kind of let's say angel investors I think that's how kind of more how they act than anything like that are 10 15 years further down the line of building business in the, is businesses in the industry than I am so I've managed to use that time that they've had to kind of learn from from their mistakes and just basically not make them, but also it's quite nice to have a bit of a sounding board to go, well, I've looked at this and this is what I wanna do and this is what we should be doing. Is there any reason that this doesn't exist now? Is there anything that we're missing? It's like having a, a new pair of eyes on things as such, but most of it is through suffering and having to make kind of hard decisions. And you know, we've made hires that literally three weeks later, I'm like, no good three months later they did all right but no good um, or this person actually can't do everything that we want them to but they're really good at this um, I also spend a lot of time looking at other sectors so my when I'm trying to learn about something or, or try and become better at something I don't just go what does the fitness industry do or what does this person in this industry do because it's not the be-all and end-all like if you want to learn about tech for the fitness industry you don't look what's in it already you go and look at everything else so i look at hospitality i look at tech i look at startups and even when i'm looking at how i manage and, and treat staff i'm looking at google maybe not apple um but you know maybe kind of incubators and things like that as well Of go right what can i take from there what is a good working practice that might fit my business and let's let's give it a go and and see how it works and create that structure so we have a lot of processes and structures but we also allow people to express themselves a little bit as well so everyone gets to learn from everybody which i think is a massive bonus
0: yeah i love that one thing I'd, i'd just like to maybe get some advice on as well or hear your thoughts on is letting people go obviously you mentioned making bad hires having to let people go and i know it's a, something all of us dread um having to fire someone so have you got any advice for how best to approach letting a bad fit go
1: do it fast that's it yeah. so there's <laughs> there's something that i I, God, I must have heard it a couple, maybe a couple of years ago or, or maybe actually when we were looking at it. You know, I think in the beginning, we had to make a really tough decision with a business partner, like within two weeks of of taking over. And it was really, really tough. And I don't think anything will be as tough as that again, to be honest. Um, But I heard a phrase, hire fast and fire faster, because if you let people linger around, it's going to fuck things up. So the longer you have somebody doing a bad job, the worse it's going to look for you. Um, and it even includes like gyms with with GMs, there's like statistics to say that a bad GM is more costly than not having one at all and the difference is about 30%. So you know it's kind of finding the right people, take your time, but when you do find the right person, be quick. But also if you've got somebody in there that doesn't fit, I think honesty is the best policy. Um, Don't be emotionally blackmailed. because ultimately by maybe taking a chance or giving that person an extra three months might mean that you're taking the food off the table for three or four other people in your business because it has such a bad effect Um, or may even damage your reputation, which damages your entire business in the get-go anyway, and then you're all screwed. So it's about looking at the bigger picture. And yes, you probably will feel bad, um, but you have to look at the positives and the things that you can control over I've upset somebody today because running a business, you're going to piss people off all the time. And it's just one of those things.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. Okay, Aaron, it's been a pleasure to have you. I've got some finishing questions if you're up for it.
1: Let's go for it.
0: So what do the next few years look like for you as a business owner and the business itself?
1: Um, Busy um but in a in a good way so obviously the last two years have been more about sustainability and uh, and obviously just maintaining growth and just building that kind of structure and now we're at the point where we can do well i have a list of like essentials that we need and i have a list that's labeled fun shit so the fun shit for personal trainers and, and obviously things that we're looking at um is you know things that maybe I wanted as a personal trainer that I never had. So the only thing we don't do at the minute for personal trainers is sell personal training for them. We do everything else, that's the last thing they gotta do is, is generate leads, which obviously we do a lot online anyway, um, and teach them how to do it in the club and, and in social groups, etc. But focusing more on how we can get more people to personal trainers, more people into those gyms as well, so it becomes even more sustainable. Um, growing the number of clubs, obviously. Um, and then obviously expanding our education offerings. So we're looking at bringing the best of like global education, um, whether it's accredited or not, to be honest with you, I don't really give a stuff. And I think a lot of education that exists that is the best is not accredited by awarding bodies. So, and I don't think that should be, you know, a deciding factor of whether you do it or not. If it's gonna provide a benefit to people you're working with and the people you help, then you should be doing it. Um, And perhaps then, expanding into vertical and adjacent markets that we're already in as well because we get asked to do a lot of things and it's i'm one of those people i have a 100 ideas a year and it's annoying for my business partners because i'm always thinking about new things and things that come up and I like to solve problems the half a dozen of them i'll probably dial down and then two of them will be really good and one of them will actually do and yeah it's it's always nice to have those options so there'll be a few things that we do naturally but there might be some more opportunities to come up later in the year as well.
0: What's something that you hate about the interest about the industry?
1: I don't hate anything because I think it's quite a strong word and hate, I think invokes anger and, you know, um, resentment, which I don't think are good drivers and motivators for a lot of people, but things that really piss me off um are people or companies who come in thinking it's a quick rich scheme and and prey on the vulnerable and desperate which is that could be personal trainers or people that want to lose weight quickly to go right let's let's do this by this and, and basically just not deliver um or that could be you know business mentors or whatever it is like that's it it's just like everyone knows and I think we can probably all agree and I think personal trainers might not want to be honest with themselves sometimes but they are like literally frothing at the mouth for success like they want to you know have the the nice apartments in uh, Dubai Marina and they but they want it like tomorrow yeah. then they don't realize half the time that some of us have been doing it 15 20 years um, and we've made sacrifices and suffer and like well, I'm doing this on a twelve year old laptop and I drive a ten year old car I don't have any like there's just these things that don't really matter that much um and you don't actually need it it's not reflection of your success like there's other things that make people happy um but there are that group and and I think you know if they were If those people were honest to a personal trainer and said, Right, ninety-five percent of you are never going to achieve what those five percent are achieving. I think statistically it's four point six, but there we go, I'm just I told you I was boring. But like ninety-five percent of PTs will never get to that super level, you know, the six figure fit pros that we think there's loads of them. There's not, there's there's a handful. And most of them have got there without being ethical that we say. I think that's probably about the politest thing we can say. Um, If they were true and honest about the chances of success and what it takes, most people would never sign up to those programs. And I think they know that. Well, they definitely know that. Um, And that's one thing that I really, really don't like.
0: Really, really don't like it and it pisses you off, but you don't hate it.
1: Because no, it makes people angry.
0: <laughs> what's Can't the... be fueled by
1: anger or hate.
0: True, true. Uh, what's the biggest mistake you see people looking, see people make that are looking to build a business in the industry?
1: They don't think about what they want. They don't know what they want. Um, they don't even know what their desired outcome is. They're just like, oh, I want to earn a lot of money, or I want to have fifty clients. Why? What's that going to give you? What are you going to do for those people? There's, it doesn't it doesn't make sense. And I, I was like it when I started as well. I was like, I want to get 25 clients. I didn't think, why do I want to do that? I was just like, well, that's what everyone else does, right? Um, and they're not really thinking about themselves. They're kind of focusing on what others are doing. Um, and I think also not understanding the true meaning of delayed gratification and sacrifice. So... You know, one of the things I always kind of think about is, and it it's a, maybe a slight annoyance, but you probably heard it a lot, work-life balance. Oh, that's what I want from a career, work-life balance. It's, it's not a thing, it's a choice. Like, if you want to build a successful personal training business and someone says, like, you're going to be working 12, 16 hours a day. Well, I don't want to do that. Okay, well, you've made a choice and that choice comes with a consequence of it's going to take you a lot longer to build your personal training business and then people will give up because it's not happened quick enough um and they need to understand that choices have consequences and it's okay it doesn't matter if you don't want to build a business in six months or 12 months and you're happy for it to take you two years but just realize if you are making those decisions that like you have to plan for it and understand that you know and on the flip side there's consequences of spending 12 16 hours a day building a business if you've got a family and friends and things like that you're going to you're sacrificing those things, but that's a consequence of pursuing something that you want to be successful with. So it's really just thinking about why you want to do it, what the purpose is, and what you're prepared to do to get there. Um, I think you could probably say the same for weight loss, muscle building, right, what are you prepared to sacrifice and what are you willing to do to get to where you want to be?
0: Yeah, 100%, I agree. Let's finish on a positive note. What's something that you love nice. about the industry?
1: So I think the, I really, really, you know, the, the thing that kind of makes you smile a little bit and, and probably makes people happy and is the, is the reason why people join the industry in the first place. Like they want to help people. Like, oh, I'd love to help people lose weight or like I was able to build muscle. I'd love to be able to pass that on to, to somebody else or whatever it is. Um, and I think that's a good foundation to build anything. Like, you're getting into something for the right reason. And I'd like to think the vast majority of people are getting into the industry for the right reason. You know, it's, it's a bit like being a nurse. You don't do it because you think you're going to get paid 90 grand a year. You do it because you care and you want to help and you're gonna, you think you're going to make a difference. And... Um, and people getting into the fitness industry can help other people in other ways and, and make a difference um i think also that the potential that the industry has is, is exciting um not just from you know new innovations and tech and stuff like that like the you know the the pt industry shrunk 2 years ago like quite dramatically um i think the value of the industry i think the Market shrunk by one hundred and eighty-five million, something like that. So the number of people and the number of um, the, the amount of money that the PT industry generated in twenty twenty-one went back in eleven years. So for me, and like, if I wanted to be a personal trainer, I started in twenty twenty-one because it can't. It's only going to go up, and you're going to be in the right position. But I think this year is is actually the the year that it's going to according to data insights, et cetera, and people changing careers or that kind of thing, where the personal training industry is going to have the most people it's ever had and is going to have the biggest market penetration it's ever had. So 2023 for personal training, I think, is probably the most exciting time to get started. And if you didn't start in 2021 or 2022, this is the next best time to do it. And in 12 months' time, it's going to be a lot harder to get in and a lot harder to be successful because of how quickly it's going to grow this year. Um, But I don't even think we've scratched the surface when it comes to the industry's potential. But I think what you need is the right people with the right values, the right motives, Um, because if those people are driving it forward, then you can have a much wider impact on a much wider group of people. It sounds a bit crusadey, that
0: doesn't it? You're preaching to the choir, though. <laughs> that, that's literally our mission <laughs> on, our, on our team dashboard at Stridest. Like, our goal, and this is the same at OFB, was to champion and, and empower personal trainers, move the industry forward because then the impact and the reach and you know how many consumers can be helped is just the impact is, is massive. Um, yeah, absolutely. Cool. Aaron, it's been a pleasure, mate. If people want to find you, uh, learn more about you or or get in contact with you, where's the best place for
1: them to go? Um, I mean, I wouldn't be too fussed about me, to be honest with you, Um, purely because my kind of Instagram and stuff is basically food and my dog. Um, I mean, if you're into those things, great I mean, I do go into both
0: through. of those things um, but
1: <laughs> yeah, and um, yeah, other than that, it's, it's not that exciting um, but um, obviously your personal training are on all of the platforms i don't know what that means but that's what my marketing team tell me um and they're they're there as well um i think we're going to even go on to tick soon I don't, I don't know why wow. um but there we are um but yeah obviously the your personal training website which is www.yourpersonaltraininguk.co.uk. um from there you can click on like you know the your academy links and stuff as well um we're on linkedin instagram facebook um so you can just type in your PT or your personal training, and you should be able to find us. And if you want to see pictures of what I eat and my dog, um, just search for Erin McCulloch on Instagram or Facebook or whatever, and yeah, be bored to death.
0: Or really happy with food and dogs?
1: 100%. It's a niche market, but there we are. <laughs> yeah. um,
0: cool. We'll, we'll link to a bunch of those places so that the people can find you. Um, Thanks very much for your time, mate. I really appreciate it. Take it easy.
1: No worries. Thanks for having me, mate. It's
0: good to chat.